0: Well, I'm glad to be back. We went uh, last weekend to Denver to a great conference, and I'm sure some of it will leak out over the next couple of days. But uh, I wanted to share with you a few ideas here again. We're in John 11. John 11, and uh, we're going to uh, be looking at in this uh, topic of conversations with Jesus. Conversations with Jesus, as I said uh, several times, but remind you. In the book of John, there are these uh, marvelous interviews, if you will, more than any other gospel, where Jesus really meets with people, talks with them, sort of does an interview kind of thing. And uh, so uh, that's where I got this idea that as He's in conversation with people, what can we learn? And in this particular topic I'd like to look at today is uh, this particular uh, matter. um, You know, kind of lose the drama, right? Come on. Here we go. The effects of Jesus' presence. Now, we're going to be looking at uh, this particular idea starting in John 11, beginning about verse 17. I think I got this thing turned. About verse 17. But I I want to talk to you about the effects of His presence. I was working through this earlier, and I thought, uh, the effects of His ministry, and I thought, that sounds too religious. Uh, You know, the effects of His uh, incarnation, that sounds too theological. As I looked at those, so I thought about the effects of His presence that in this particular story, the effect or the effects of His presence. When Becky and I were leaving the other day, we were at the airport at Will Rogers. I said, you know, you know you're from Oklahoma if you don't mind flying out of an airport named after a guy that was killed in a plane crash. (laughs) Right? It's always a little disconcerting to me. Yeah. You're celebrating this. A guy was killed in a plane crash. We named an airport after him. That's why they call it a terminal. And... Yeah, if you think about this very long, you'll never fly again. You'll never get on an airplane. Never fly again. Uh, But when we were there, when we were there, you know, we've gone through the line and it, it, I don't know, Becky must be on some list somewhere. Every time she gets through there, they drag her off to a side room and I say, you know, and I'm thinking I'm the one they ought to be checking, you know, and I'm like, how did this happen? And So we're going through that and she gets through the line and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And we're standing there getting ready in the area. And it's just this idea of the presence of a person, how it affects you. We're standing there or going up there and look over there. And right at the desk there where you get ready to check into the company plane is Hashim Thabit. Do you remember him? Played for the the Thunder? Have you ever seen somebody seven foot three in purpose? In in person, not And on purpose. And on purpose. You ever see anybody seven foot three? I mean, I, I I'm standing there going, and, and here's the uh, ironic thing. I mean, you know, he's a professional basketball player and big time guy, and you know, played at Connecticut and, and all of this. And I guess he's trying to be a bit incognito. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's seven three. You can't be incognito. I don't care. And he's there with some print like. Uh, 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 sweats on that are a little wild, his foot looks like a water ski, <clears throat> you know, there were four or five cows that died for that one shoe, and he has his head kind of wrapped, you know, it's kind of early in the morning, and maybe he doesn't want to make like, eye contact, he has his head wrapped with this big red kind of covering, and I'm thinking, I still see you, <laughs> you know, but the effect on people, you know, everybody's there kind of going, that's him, him, and I'm thinking I'm going to go up and talk to him. And Becky, no, no, don't say anything. I I want his autograph. I want to talk to him. I'm, I'm bashful, but in those cases, I don't mind. Yeah, and 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 you know, you you just notice that that in this in this place, this guy's presence has an effect on people. People are looking. People are chatting. Nobody's cutting in line with him. Seven three. Uh, he gets on the plane first. We even get we make a little eye contact. You know, we do the little, hey, I'm cool. Hey. You know, hey. You know just, just the head bob. That's all it takes. You know. And uh, so anyway, that, that didn't happen. <laughs> Listen, if Hashim Thabit has that kind of effect with his presence... If we read the Bible carefully, if we look at this, the presence of Jesus. Uh, this guy, you know, they said of him at times he uh, either started a, a, a revival or a riot. <laughs> he was a very not. He was not this kind of uh, mediocre, milk toast kind of person. He was remarkable in that his presence began to change things. So I want to look at that here. If you're there now, surely there by now, uh, in John chapter 11. Jesus has gotten word. We talked about this earlier a couple of weeks ago about Jesus and his love for people. He'd heard about Lazarus dying, and he waits. Strange understanding of love there, but he waits. And if you want to listen to it, it's recorded on the website. So when G- verse seventeen. So when Jesus came, he finally. Now they decided to go. He found that he Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Now underline that's a very important marker there. Four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And even now, I know that whatever you ask God, God will give to you. And Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. And Martha said to Him, I I know that He will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Now that's this other I am statement. John is filled with seven different I am statements that hearken back to and cause the reader to remember the sacred name of God, Hayah. I am that I am. That God told to Moses. So, this is a powerfully dramatic statement. This isn't just saying this is who I am in the kind of a no, in the Greek at least, egoebi, I am the resurrection and the life. I don't, poss- I don't have it to give, it's not a gift I give to you. I am. I am the resurrection and the life. If he be- who believes in me will, uh, even it will live, even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed. Look, that, That's an interesting uh, 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 phrase there because it, in, in that verb form, I have believed, Lord, it means this idea, I have believed and I continue to believe that You are the Christ, the Son of God, even He who comes into the world. And when he said this, she went away and called her sister, secretly saying, The teacher's here and is calling for you. And when he heard it, or when she heard it, she got up and quickly was coming to him. Now, when Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha met him, then the Jews who were with her, Mary, in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out and followed her, supposing that he would go to the tomb, to, she would go to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came to Jesus, she said to him and fell at his feet, saying, "Lord, if you had been here," My brother would not have done. Now notice it's the same thing that Martha said. I want to show you a difference here, though. And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who were also weeping with her, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And they said, and he said, Where did they lay him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, See how he loved him. But some were saying, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying, so Jesus again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now we're gonna we're gonna stop right there because I, we may not make it any further than that. But I want to stop here and look at, if you will, this uh, if you will the, the effects of Jesus' presence here uh, in this uh, particular matter. Now, first of all, starts with Mary. I'm gonna give you this first uh, idea here. This thing is just working wonderful today. Uh, here we go. Jesus and Martha, <clears throat> truth. Jesus and Martha, the effect here, or the reality here, seems to me that Jesus is operating in the area of some truth. Now, I'm not going to take much time because I did this last time, but I just want to say to you that it's, it's remarkable to me that Jesus shows in this passage to me how He attunes to the person's needs. If you want to go listen again two weeks ago, this idea of attunement, this idea of of attuning to a person. I said to you that that this is a powerful tool that Jesus uses. He attunes to people. When they're in sorrow, He feels it. When they're in joy, He explores it and and enjoys it. And I see in Jesus this incredible person, this one who is God in the flesh, who is willing, if you will, to attune to the situation that the person that he runs into occurs. The verse, if you want to look at it, one of them in, in uh, Romans 12:14, it says to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. See, when you don't attune to people, when people are weeping, you try to coach them up and say, well, you know, all things work together for good to those who love God. You know, that really helps a lot right then, doesn't it? You know? Or, or whenever they're having struggles, we're trying to coach them up and give them the truth instead of attuning. You're in sorrow. I understand that. I get that. Or when people are rejoicing, when people are rejoicing and great things have happened, we often will say, well, you know, there's a lot of people having problems in this world, right? We're so helpful. Have you noticed that? Attunement means that I am willing to enter, or in in this case, Jesus is willing to enter into the world, to to the emotional world, to the situation that He finds people in. And I want to suggest to you that there's two things you're going to look at. That one of the greatest challenges of my life has been over the years is to believe that Jesus would actually attune to me instead of me having to attune to Him. That's a dramatic thing. Go back and listen to it on the 19th. You see, Jesus comes here to this situation with these people on the fourth day. Now I told you to underline that because it's important. In Jewish theology, there is the understanding that a person is not officially dead until three days. You can read this and study this, that people are not really, there's the idea that the Spirit kind of hangs around and stays there and and may try to re-enter. So it's three days that is, if you will, somewhat required, if you will, to uh, uh, to, to, to know that a person's dead. That's again, part, go back to the Gospels and, and see where that, that shows up again. It's after that, it's after four days that Jesus comes. And as Jesus comes, Martha hears about it, and it says here, goes out. Now, let me, let me put some context here. After three days, in fact, in Judaism, the first three days, the family mourns by themselves. No one comes, no one spends time with them. If you read this, they turn all the furniture around backwards, they sit low on the floor, and it's an opportunity for the family to genuinely weep without having to worry that other people are around. It's pretty intense. It's generally, you know, it's generally a time of intense mourning where people are just able to let it go. You know what we do, you know, we, we try to tamp it down, don't we, when we feel that. But in Jewish life and thought, the first three days, this is an opportunity for the family to feel, to express, to experience grief at its depths. After that, after the third day, the fourth day becomes a seven-day morning time when people can come and visit you. On the fourth day, and for seven more days now, people can come and visit and bring food, you know, and stuff like that. And this is what happened. Notice it says that many of the Jews had come to console her there in verse 19. This is that period of time after intense... If you will, sort of weeping and feeling what's going on, and then the next seven days uh, are are this a phenomenon, if you will, are this time called annuette where people—I'm uh, probably mispronouncing it—but um, uh, you you might not know that. So that okay, yeah, leave him alone, Cliff. He's doing all right. Here we go. Uh, it's when it's when family people would come and and they would you know bring food to you and 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 care for you and console with you. I just, it's interesting to me here. On the fourth day, Martha has now exited this very private time of mourning. It's the fourth day now. Okay, it's time to have family over, it's time to have friends over, it, it's time now to process it out. And whenever Mary hears that Jesus is there, she goes to talk to him and, if you will, in some sense, upbraid him. Look, if you were here, my brother wouldn't be dead. You know, I, it, I, I don't want to read too much into this, but, but, but I want to say what I know about Martha, who's a doer, and we see that in other places. Martha is pragmatic. She gets things done. She wants to get... I, it just sort of feels like Martha wants to get on with life now. Okay? The three days are over. we got family people over here. Let's, let's deal with this. And, and that's okay. And, and she goes out to speak to Jesus about this situation that he would have been alive if you were even now, I know that whatever you ask God, you can do. This sister is is she grieving or is she mad? Is she grieving or is she upset? Now that's okay. You know, that, that's part of the grieving process where there's anger or, you know, hostility or, or feeling, you know, that, that we feel that. But but Jesus then enters into, if I'm reading this correctly, uh, really, a discussion about truth. It, that's what it, it, it's really a discussion. Notice what he says. Uh, well, she said, uh, "Even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask." And Jesus said to her, "Your brother will rise again." And she goes, "I, I know that. I, I get that. You know, in the resurrection, that'll be great." But then Jesus makes this marvelous statement: "I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me." will live even if He dies. And everyone who lives and believes in Me will never die. Do you believe this? What is Jesus attuning to Mary's need? I think truth. This is the truth, Mary. You know this. You you, you believe this. You understand this. And I am the one who is the resurrection. Now notice what He tells her. to remember. If you believe in Me. If you believe in Me, Mary, this can happen. She she doesn't again seem to be like, uh, I'm sorry, Martha. Martha here. Did I keep saying Mary? Okay. Somebody correct me. (laughs) Martha needs this matter of truth. She needs to hear again, apparently, from Jesus He who believes in me will never perish. I'm the resurrection and the life. I see here a ministry of truth to this person. A ministry of telling her what she needs to know. He who believes in me. And he who lives... It. No, notice the words here. I just I want to draw this. This is one of those fantastic statements in Scripture. I am the resurrection life. I wrote my notes. Jesus doesn't have, doesn't have life and resurrection to give you. He says, I'm it. And you believe, what? In me. It's one thing to believe about God. It's one thing to believe about Jesus. It's another thing to believe in him, isn't it? He becomes the, the object of our faith that we believe in him. I have a friend that uh, years ago uh, wanted us, to, we went on a trip to Nebraska. You know, that enough should have cemented our friendship. But uh, I, I had never, uh, I always made my own flight arrangements because I don't like prop driven planes. Uh, They're too loud, and uh, they're not big enough. When you can stand in the plane and do this and touch both sides, I'm out. (laughs) And this friend of mine, Maurice, uh, uh, had lined this up, and we were going to go to Nebraska for this meeting, and he said, "Uh, you know what, Cliff, I'll take care of the flight arrangements. You know what, I believed in him. (laughs) I trusted him. I looked to him to take care of that. I I didn't worry about it until I found out, (laughs) But I put my trust in Maurice to say, Maurice, you'll take care of me. You'll, you'll, you'll do what needs to be done. And little did I know that that's the only kind of plane that would go to Hastings, Nebraska, or I would have driven. <laughs> you know, believing in, not about, believing in. Do, do you see this distinction here of believing in someone to the extent that I'm, I'm willing to trust them? I'm, I'm willing to depend upon them. Jesus said, if whoever believes in me, and then notice what he says. Whoever lives in me. Whoever lives in me. That's interesting to me. That Jesus is dealing with Martha's sorrow and difficulty on the basis of truth. Must have been what she needed. She's pragmatic. She doesn't probably need to, to do what everybody else needs to do in terms of grieving. And, and she needs truth. You live in me. You know, I, I, I it's interesting. Live in me. That Greek term here is to find your life in me. I think I have a, a picture here that I was going to use someday. Is this. This is in New Orleans, and I live down toward that area. And there was a time after hurricane where a lot of people lived in FEMA trailers right out in front of their house. And you know, that doesn't look all that, if you will, uh, desirable to me <laughs> to live like that. But there are people living in it temporarily. The question is, in our lives sometimes, are we living in Jesus temporarily? You know, kind of when we need Him. Kind of whenever it suits our schedule. Or we're living in Him when it is of convenient. That this idea of living in Him. Living my life in Him as a day-to-day basis. Not just visiting, not just asking Him for when I'm in trouble, but He is my Life where I'm living day in and day out. I I, I got a letter the other day from the National Flood Agency. They wanted to know or they needed to verify my primary residence of where I live. I guess they checked my tax return and saw that chalet in Geneva or something, you know. (laughs) Who knows? But I was fascinated because the, the form said, We need you to verify where your primary residence is, where you live. It got my attention because if you don't fill it out, it's 250 more bucks. So I call my insurance agent up and we talk about it. I said, what do I need to do? And he said, all we need to do is to verify and show this is your primary residence where you live most of the year. I got to thinking about that. I mean, I live there every day, you know, unless I lose my way home. (laughs) I live there every day. When I go home, that's where I go. That's where I live. Question is for us, do we live in Jesus? Do we live in him? Is he, if you will, the one like I come over? It, when we have a decision, we return to him to say, what would you think here? That when we have issues in life, he's our, if you will, <clears throat> default setting, or that we keep returning to him. What do you what would you have me do? H- how do I live in in Jesus not just believe notice he says believe and live they're both it's not just believe it's not just have tr- confidence right it's believe and live in him is Jesus the one that you live in is he the one I live in Th- this notion here of belief means to have confidence reliance upon dependence on you know a good illustration of that is you know what? right now you're 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 a uh, you know, you're, you've seen chairs before, haven't you? You're sitting in one. You've looked at them. You believe they're in their existence. You believe that they're there. But right now, you are believing in a chair. All of your weight is on there. I don't see anybody with one leg on the ground going, ah, I better not you know, try this too hard here. You know? All of your weight, all of your life is depending, relying upon, trusting in that chair. Now, you've seen chairs before. And you know what they are and you believe about them. But believing in a chair means you're going to sit down on it. Believing in. Jesus said, whoever believes in me and lives in me will never die. Now, again, this seems to me to be this matter of truth. This understanding of believing in me. Living in me. Are you one of those people that when you're in sorrow like Martha that you need to be reminded of the truth of who Jesus is and where you live? I mean, we're all going to face it, aren't we? Sorrow and difficulty. We're all going to face the challenges of life. And Martha here seems to want to engage and enter in, if you will, into some kind of theological dialogue. It's okay because at times when we're in those kind of situations, the, pres- the effect of Jesus' presence, we need to know the truth. What is about this, Jesus, are you really who you said you are? I've told you this before, but you know, after my dad died, and it's the only person in our primary family that ever died before, I remember driving to a Bible study on Friday morning. I would drive by their neighborhood every morning on that way. And I, and I remember driving to that Bible study and being kind of messed up. I mean, these kind of questions don't they come to you. I mean, I, I was there with my dad. I had never been with a person who died in my entire ministry. I was either on my way or I couldn't get there in time the only time i would ever been with a person who died. I saw my dad die. His last words to me were, keep reading me poetry. I was quoting songs and poems to him. And I saw him leave the bonds of this earth. And I'm driving to Bible study. And I'm thinking, am I ever going to see him again? Now, you know, I'm not a big doubter, I'm just, I'm not real flippant with some of these things. And I don't mean flippant, I mean, I have trouble with them. That's a better way to say that. I struggle with some of this stuff. I mean, if you take Jesus seriously, He says some crazy stuff. Okay? Let's settle that. For, right? He says some crazy stuff. And and I'm driving to Bible study and, and I'm asking these, am I going to see my dad again? We can all say, well, oh, sure. Well, am I? Am I really? Is there really something there? And I remember it, this went on for a couple of weeks. And I remember saying to the to the Bible study guys one Friday morning after several weeks, I, I shared with them what I've been struggling with. Now, I think it shocked them a little bit, but I said, hey, this, this is real life, man. This, is... And I said to this, I, I came to this deep, theological conclusion I can trust Jesus he would lie to me I can trust Jesus listen I believe in him he would not lie to me that he says if you believe and live in me though you die you will live again I can't tell you at that moment because of that it wasn't any long thing. I mean, I know people talk about the intermediate state and, you know, is there purgatory? And I say, yeah, it's in Colorado. But, you know, <clears throat> all that kind of stuff. I told, you know, the thoughts and opinions teach are not necessarily thoughts and opinions across the community church. It's elders or leadership. Um, you know, I mean, I know people talk all about the intermediate state and where are we there and what's that and what are we going to look like and what age will we be? I don't know. No, neither does anybody else. That's why I believe and live in Jesus. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. That means feelings, folks. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. all other ground is sinking sand. Listen, in your sorrow and in my difficulty and all people's sorrow, there will be a point where we're going to have to come to the truth of this. Do you, he says, is, Mary, oh, Mary, Martha, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to go to Martha. Martha, do you believe this? Now, her brother's dead. This isn't something we talk about at vacation Bible school, although the vacation Bible school is good. This isn't something we talk about in the confines of a Starbucks. This is in the confines of your brother's in the tomb, and he's dead. Do you believe this? You know, Lord. You know I believe you. Listen, it's going to come back to that. I, I told this kind of leaking out. I went to this conference simply, Jesus. Listen, I believe in the infallible, complete, trustworthy Word of God. And His name is Jesus. I you hear that again. I believe in the infallible, inspired Word of God. And His name is Jesus. I love the Bible. And I read it and study it all the time. But I have to believe in this guy. It's sort of like when Becky and I were dating a whole long time ago. She was in Kansas, I was in Texas, I was being faithful, she was kissing a pig farmer a couple of times. If you want to hear about that, I will tell you. I was being good. Back then, in 1978, some of y'all remember that, we did a thing called we wrote letters. Wrote letters. And I wrote Becky and she wrote me. We just talked about this the other day. She saved those letters. Isn't that sweet? I want to find them and make sure what I said. <laughs> she saved them. She got them in a little box. Here's what I am anxious about. About do you believe in me? you believe in me? What would it be like if if all Becky ever wanted to do was read those letters and goof around with those letters and collate them and file them and put them in the right place and you know, I'm a real romantic as you can tell <laughs> collate letters <laughs> What? Well, if that's all she ever did and she never spent any time with the author what, what, what if she just thought these are the most wonderful letters I've ever had listen I believe the Bible. I trust it because it gives me the record of who this person is, Jesus. It's how I know about Him. But trust me, it's got to get beyond that to where I believe in Him as a person. That I live in Him as my life. That I look to Him for strength and help and energy. The Bible, I read it, I study it, I memorize it. But again, go back to John 5, 8, 38, and 39 where Jesus said, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them that you have eternal life. But it is these that testify about me. But you won't come to me. Study the Bible. Understand it. Love it. But meet the author. Where we come to the point where He say, Lord, I... Believe. I believe. Now, here's the question. Are you living in him and believing in him? What if this week, if your problems are challenges, you remember the truth about Jesus? There's some of us, I mean, look, when I get in trouble or have difficulty, I need some truth. I, I need some truth to hang on to. I was hanging on for dear. I'm telling you, I can't explain to you all the struggle that was going on in me when my dad was had died. It was real, man. It was real. And in the midst of that, as Martha is in this thing, she seems to want to talk to Jesus about truth. Thank God for Martha to get Jesus to say this I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the one that if you believe and live in me, you will never die. You will come back. What if in your trouble that you remember the truth about Jesus? I am the resurrection and the life. For you. Allow truth to support you in the midst of your problems. Allow truth to support you. Now, I'm going to go on. I've got to hurry. I, I can do this. Second, Mary, the person I've been commenting about for the last ten minutes. (laughs) Mary. Therefore, or or Martha goes back. Now, Jesus had not yet come to the village, and Martha goes and meets Him. She tells Mary, and Mary comes. Here we go, verse 3. Therefore, when Mary came and saw Jesus, she fell at His feet. It's the place of subservience. In, In the ancient world, if you fell before someone's feet, you were acknowledging subservience to them, superiority to them. It is the absolute lowest place you can be at a person's feet. She falls there and says, Lord, she was, or she's weeping, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came to her weeping, He was deeply moved and troubled. And it says He wept. I, I, I want to suggest to you that Jesus' influence here is not only truth, but tears. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus sees her and recognizes the condition she's in, He doesn't give her, hey, you need to believe in me, I'm the resurrection and the life. He doesn't give her that. Again, He's attuning, isn't He? He's attuning to the person. I, I just hope that some of us over the next several days or in this week could hack, actually maybe believe that Jesus might attune to you where you are instead of you having to get where He is. Just just think about that. Tears. Jesus. We now isn't. Here's what's fascinating. I I can hurry. I can get through this. Isn't it fascinating? Doesn't he know what he's going to do? You know, I wrote in my notes, if I was Jesus, which you'd be afraid of, I think I would have said this. You might think Jesus would say to Mary, Hey Mary, don't cry. Watch what I'm about to do. (laughs) Right? He knows what he's going to do. And yet, we see in Jesus the presence of him here. Instead of just saying, don't worry about it, don't sweat it, I'll take care of this, He weeps with her. He enters into that place with her to say, I know what you're feeling, I know what you're sensing, and it deeply moves me as well. Listen, I think our view of God has been more affected by Greek, Greek philosophy than the Bible. God is unchangeable. That means He can't feel anything. Aristotle called him the unmoved mover. Wouldn't you love to spend a weekend with him? The unmoved mover. This one that knows it all, understands it all. Listen, that's not the picture you get in the Bible. The picture you get in the Bible is this passionate, loving, engaged God that is working and sweating and experiencing everything we do and saying, I'm all in. Some of those concepts are are so deep in us that, that God Jesus should have said, here, hey Mary, don't worry about it, I got this handled. Or He should have later, when He looks over Jerusalem, instead of saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you under my wings, but you would not. He said, I knew you were going to do that. (laughs) This is is unbelievable. That God, in the flesh, ontologically omnipotent, He, He is God in the flesh. Weeps. You know, our problem is, we don't weep with people. and We don't enter in sometimes because I don't think we think God really enters into our sorrow. I think we think, you know, again, it's my opinion. I think we think that God says, well, you know, you got yourself in that trouble. You're the one who did that. You made your bed, now you're going to sleep in it. You know, you know you're, you're, this, is, this, is, this is trouble for you, but you know, you started it. This is the Jesus that weeps, enters into Mary's experience. He fully enters into the pain and the sorrow of people that... Now watch this word here, deeply moved. Verse 33, and it shows up again in verse 38. We're going to talk about Lazarus next week. <laughs> it's a strange word. This, this word, if you want to know it, I, in, 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 it means this, to snort like a horse. It's used in the culture of a horse that is snorting. I've got allergies, so I'm not even going to try that. <laughs> you run this word down, though. You run this word down. And it has deep emotion. To the extent that this suggests that Jesus has entered so deeply into the emotional experience of Mary, he has felt this and weeping. He is, according to Tim Keller and others who would say this, he is raging. He is raging. You know what happens when a horse starts snorting like that? They start stomping their feet. I rode horses in Texas, you know. I know when that starts happening, you're in, you got some problems here. Jesus here entering into now, now. The question here, there's a couple of questions that work out. The question is this. I mean, this again. Translators try to get around this, and and they just say it's deeply moved. It. I'm just telling you, go go check the lexicons. Uh, it means to snort like a horse. Do, do you ever think that Jesus' feelings for us in our pain is so strong that he, he gets wound up? I mean, that's not the God I heard of as a kid. Not the kind that saw my pain... And so my understanding of what was going on with me, and the word's a hard one to hear, is enraged. Now, what is Jesus enraged about? Mary's crying? No. Death. Death. Jesus has said already, I've come that you might have life. The thief comes to steal, kill, and what? Destroy. Jesus seems to be raging here, deeply moved, because He understands the pain and the sorrow and the depth that death has brought to this family. And God is for anything other than death. Jesus is for life, and life more abundantly. Listen, the death and the issues in life aren't God's fault. The death and problems in life aren't what God wanted. Jesus is standing here, and for all accounts, if you study the etymology of the word, He is wound up about this. He knows what He's going to do anyway. He understands it. He knows He's going to raise Him from the dead. He gets that, but He is standing there snorting out of the rage over this, of the pain that this family has felt. That's a different picture, isn't it? Sweet little Jesus patting everybody on the head. He is standing there. It's almost, in my judgment, it's almost as if it's like the showdown at the O.K. Corral. He stands there at that tomb with Mary weeping and He is ready to make things right. Is that the Jesus you see? Is that the one who enters so deeply in? He feels what you feel. He weeps when you weep. And he stands against that anything that would destroy. That's a beautiful picture to me. Here he is deeply moved, troubled in his spirit. He says, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And when Jesus is there, what does it say? Shortest verse in the Bible. You remember this one in Vacation Bible School? Jesus, what? Wept again. He knows what he's going to do. What to God that we could understand that Jesus so enters our world that what is happening to us is affecting him. Think about this now. I know this sounds crazy. This is what this story shows us. He knows what He's going to do. He's got it all. But He enters so deeply into their world that He engages at a level to say, I'm going to enter your world. It's a different Jesus. This is a Jesus that's all in. All in your life. All in my life. It's amazing to me. Mary, I know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to enter in. So the qu- the great question is this, and part of the application for this week. If I could get to the right slide. What if this week you really believe that Jesus enters your pain, your joy, your concerns, and feels it with you? What could you do to remind yourself this week that Jesus has a ministry of tears for you? Now, some of you in here need the ministry of truth. That's why you're wired. You're a Martha. You need the ministry of truth. And that's for me, that's what helped me get through the situation with my dad. For some of you, it's going to be the ministry of tears for you to just wonder, wonder, does Jesus really care what's going on in me? Mary's experience tells me you bet Mary's experience reminds me of the fact that Jesus is willing to enter, he doesn't give her any discussion about the resurrection, he doesn't talk about any theological notions, he just enters in he attunes at a level that I don't know that any of us could ever do so the question is this which one do you need? he's got them both which one do you need? Which one do I need? And, and probably at different times in our life, we need each at a different time. I'll tell you a real quick statement here and then we'll be done. Um, some years ago, I, I, I read a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones. I probably told you this. You know, when you get to this age, it's really fun because you never remember anything you said and you can just keep... <laughs> it's just wonderful. Yeah. Forgot who my secretary's name was the other day. And uh, I'm going to the doctor. <laughs> One that can't use needles, though. And uh, <laughs> Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones was sharing one time was in, in a service about the gospel and what Jesus had come to do and how He had come and entered our world to to be what we need. And the response was at the end after he did that, a guy came to talk to him, and, and he said, "Dr. Jones, that's wonderful and that's great, but it's too good to be true." And Martin Lloyd-Jones, in the book, when he was referring to that, said this. That if when anyone gets through preaching or teaching the gospel, if the answer or response isn't, hey, that's okay, that sounds great, but it's too good to be true, you haven't yet preached the gospel. Until that's the reaction. And ladies and gentlemen, let me just say this. A lot of this truth that I'm suggesting here is is coming up against a lot of religion. And a lot of ideas of try harder, do better, work at this, get involved. Come on, you do it, right? A guy I heard this week, Bruxy Cavey. What a weird name. Bruxy Cavey said this, Grace is what God does for you that religion failed to do. Grace is what God does for you, what religion failed to do for you. This is good news. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today, there are some of us here who need the ministry of truth to sustain us, to help us to get through hard times, through difficulties. And we thank you for that. We thank you, Jesus, that you could say, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes and lives in me will never die. And then there are others of us, Lord, who need the ministry of tears. In fact, for some of us in here, this sounds crazy. And it might be. That's why it's true, because it does sound so crazy. The gospel is such good news. It's got to sound crazy to people. It's got to sound scandalous. It's got to sound ridiculous. It's got to sound anti-Western European, pick yourself up by your own bootstraps, you made your bed, you're going to sleep in it stuff. So help us, Lord Jesus, to actually believe that as Mary experienced you at that day, that you are no respecter of persons. And you will do for us what you did for her. Help us to open our hearts to You, to break down the barriers, to quit uh, uh, categorizing or to quit, quit equivocating as to why You can't do that and just let You in that we might experience that ministry of tears this week with You. Help us, Jesus, to live joyfully and abundantly and in this kind of joy that people will be attracted to this Gospel, attracted to this Jesus because of His commitment to us, we pray. In the strong name of Jesus. Amen.